So the original theory was done by Claude Shannon on information mm-hmm. theory, where he transformed differential equations into ones and zeros. And then those mm-hmm. ones and zeros could be processed by the machine, where one language was being mapped onto another language through encoding. Mm-hmm. So we have this idea of, because uh, he, he was a code breaker. So he would take the uh, different uh, codes, get it into binary, and then uh, from binary, the machine could uh, run the, the recognition and translate that into a decode. Uh, and so then, then the idea of language became a, a, a stream of symbols. So language itself was a stream of symbols. And so we've seen like that, for example, with uh, um, binary is the, is the universal language bits in the, in the byte are our, our universal language to the machine understanding. So, for example, in ASCII, there were 128 uh, text characters that could be represented by eight bits or one byte. And then they came up with extended ASCII character sets, which gave access to another 128 output characters or input values. And then later on, Unicode uh, used two numbers to access uh, thousands of image glyphs in a map. So again, we see the, the, this, this idea of encoding. So you have, uh, you have an input or a number that are two numbers that can encode to an image. And so uh, very similar to the um, reoccurring neural net where you, you put in an input or a bit stream and then it outputs and translates to another map. So it seems to me that language then could be considered then a stream of bits um, and those bits then could represent uh, symbols in the target language that you want. Uh, one of the big, the, one of the problems is, is that phrases connected have to be understandable. So statistical probability help select phrases. And I, I was just reading that one of the problems with open AI is that, you know, it was generating this conversation, but it was doing uh, duplicate sta- statements. And then so people were reading and said, oh, you've, it's already said that phrase. And it didn't. Un- and, and so and the accuracy on the phrases were bad. So the, uh, the context itself, uh, it didn't seem to retain what it was saying and then evaluate the outcome of each one of the statements uh, to see if it was accurately mapping to things that made sense or phrases that made sense. Uh, so you want to talk on a little bit on natural language processing uh, based on the ideas that I've just shared? Yeah. So um, I think, I think that's, a, that's a very valid point. So of course, humans, uh, I mean, uh, machines, uh, you know, which, which are different from humans, right, cannot interpret words in in strings, right? So basically, everything for them is um, binary, is it, it's, it's, uh, it's either zero or one, right? So of course, we have to have some sort of an encoding or an embedding, uh, which is going to translate them for, uh, that for them. So let's say, if we have to dim- differentiate between male and female, then the computer will probably store it as one or zero, one being for female and zero being for male. 
right some some sort of that uh, uh, mapping uh but it's very important to have this mapping as well as understand in which vector space it exists so by by that i mean let's say if i have trained my model and the, my model is trained on uh let's say different news articles okay or maybe different uh, movie reviews yeah let's say it's it's tra- it's trained on movie reviews so words like uh good movie or tremendous or excellent will be mapped towards uh, i mean will have some sort of a common cluster between them so if you plot these uh if these words um based on how they are trained so then we'll find that the words which are closely connected will be close together and the words such as bad and hot and awkward and things like and these words will be mapped onto a different region in the graph but they will be closely uh, clustered so this means that even though these are just numbers we are we still have or the machine is still able to able to understand these words might have similar meaning right so so in in that case a model should be um uh, you know this is a very simple example it should be elegant enough to have such sort of visual, visualization which helps us to understand that the model is learning correctly and uh, so there are two things so of course so basically what happens is when you are translating uh, a language let's say if you are translating english to spanish or english to hindi the, the important thing to notice is you have to have a, the entire context which I, which I, we have already discussed i think in in the last uh, uh, session as well but the most important thing is is that the the as in the sentence should have a a, a meaning as well so what happens is whenever the machine is translating it gets the next best probability of the next word let's say my name is so after is it's going to predict what is the next best uh, word in my context so in my context it would be akshay so i'll be like uh, does the machine will translate that my name is akshay and then the next probability will be highest for my surname so things like that and then that's how machine works and as you mentioned that repetition happen this happens because the machine is only able to find it at the next word the next probable word as the previous word so if you train it on a very small data set or if you train it on a very uh, if the model architecture is not well defined then of course the highest probability of of the next word will be the same word and this happens quite often so we whenever we are working with nlp we have to understand that um, you know if if something like this is happening then obviously we have less number of words or we have less uh, training or some sort of a problem in the architecture but uh, yeah i think you have raised a great point in in this case yeah so in the case where you're talking about the phrases um you could say um actually is a and then you'd say uh data scientist computer programmer uh python programmer uh neural net uh data modeler um and uh uh who has a degree from stanford um and so as it's looking down the hierarchy um and looking at those phrases how do you how does the machine uh know that because there's many words that sound alike 
how does it know mm-hmm. the symbol, the correct symbol to associate with the previous phrase? Is that is that so, going into the reoccurring neural net, and then the reoccurring neural net is saying, okay, if you have these uh, phrase patterns, this is the this is the best possible outcome for this phrase. Can you talk on that? Yeah. So so that that is what happens. So let's say, uh, um, uh, let's say if uh, we have. Uh, let's say if we talk about movie reviews, right? So let's say there are some very good get uh, good movies like Inception or uh, Prestige or things like that, right? These movies are very good. So oh, whenever we'll talk about this movie or we'll try, uh, we'll train a model to talk about this movie, then it's going to it 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 has a mapping that you know with Inception, the context is that the movie is good. and the director is christopher nolan and things like that so it will have a mapping in in the back end so it's it will what it will do it will it will know the context that i have to talk about good thing does is that it maintains sense sense in the sentence as well as context so it will pick out words which are which have a good meaning that is it will probably say that the movie is good uh, it has a, it has a good cast exceptional acting things like that and let's say if if the movie is bad if the movie did not do well according to the critics then it will have the context that you know i have to if i have to review i mean if the machine has to review then it will know that i'll probably say that's a bad movie but then i'll also uh, i'll have to maintain this context that is my borderline or the the main uh, con- concept behind this uh, review is to tell them that the movie is not very good but then at the same time i have to maintain sense as well whatever i sh- say should have a, a logical and a grammatical sense so that's what it does so the context is carried out in the entire sentence only thing is that the machine predicts the next word maintaining the context and you know gives you a review just like an actual reviewer will have reviewed it yeah and uh, so you've talked about uh, mapping to sentiment so you could have a uh, sentiment it could be that uh, uh maybe on the red side that it was very negative so negative words might be like hate uh, dislike uh discomfort medium neutral words could be like indifference um didn't care and maybe uh positive sentiment words could be things like loved really liked enjoyed things like that yeah. um and so Uh, d- down at the end of the network the outcome could be that this the the statement was very positive or the statement was very negative as an outcome and those could be uh again clustered together as kind of a decoding so um it, i guess with the in what you're saying is with the language it could also be somewhat the, like that in other words there could be a level of confidence that the translation was yeah. correct Mm-hmm. So yeah, so with each prediction, what happens is we associate different to each prediction. So basically, whenever I'm, whenever a machine is writing a review, or maybe whenever the machine, is, it translates the next possible word with the total confidence that it has. So basically, let's say if my model is very uh, is weak and I have not have a lot of data set, then whatever predictions are made, my model will. have less ac- will have less confidence or will have less accuracy because that would probably be the first time that the machine is looking at that sort of data 
so that's that's the case uh, but one important thing that i would like to point out is when we are working with with a national language one of the important things is to have is to reduce the bias and by bias i mean uh, let's say if if there is some relation between a uh, man and woman then you know we can have some sort of relation that uh, maybe this is because of the data is from different textbooks or different paper articles or things like that so basically there there might be a relationship between you know that the relationship between a man and work should could probably correlate between a woman and you know not doing work or maybe maybe which which, which is very stereotypical right so this is some sort of uh, a problem that the modern day faces because of the data uh because of the data that is present we kind of the model i mean the machine also stereotypes uh people based on their gender which is wrong of course so in 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 the in those cases we have to make sure that we reduce these biases we have to make sure that we give the machine enough data so that it does not have a gender prejudice or it does not have bias against or for a particular uh, gender or race or religion so this is one thing as uh, uh, you know responsible human beings is our duty to make sure that whenever we are working on a model or working on an application which is for general use we have to make sure that these problems should not occur uh, yeah, so if you look at yeah i so i've heard that the the way to do that is to uh, reduce the um confidence levels on the output so they have some sort of feedback or reinforced feedback that the net then uh if it draws an incorrect bias then it, there's an inhibitor that feeds back and so uh there's one idea that you have a, a group of sub uh, modules and the sub modules uh basically recognize certain types of uh inputs and then if um that sub module is getting the wrong bias then uh the system disconnects from that sub module so that the bias no longer affects the the network so that's yes, one strategy yeah yeah so i mean the couple of studies one is you can manually uh, you know make sure a relabel data maybe at least some part of it uh, but yeah i think having a feedback system is much more uh you know helpful because manually doing it will be will take a lot of time mm-hmm. and effort as well but yeah this is one of the problems that you know we face and we look to eliminate it from the society okay uh i want to go back to the natural language processing on mm. so let's talk about grammarly and how grammarly works um mm-hmm. so as you're typing in the word it's uh it's taking in uh text from each word and as you type the word it's thinking uh is processing and looking at the each word and it's uh particularly uh source language in this case would be uh english and it could have one or more words in the target language which was also english but it would be uh spelled correctly in mm-hmm. one thing that's interesting is um the grammarly doesn't attempt at least from what i can see it doesn't attempt to look at your sentence and say okay that's a fragmented sentence you you don't have the correct parts of speech here um mm. and so 
uh, it, it could, uh, while you're typing, uh, re reformat the sentence, make it smoother, look at the previous sentence and see if the, the two sentences are, you know, working together mm. to form uh, a thesis sentence. So you have a thesis sentence and then you're supporting sentences that connect to it and trying to create uh, analysis of the meaning. So you could almost have like an in-place editor. It doesn't seem to do that. Uh, mm -hmm. What is the possibility of um, using information encoding to uh, now work with parts of speech to get uh, very well-formed sentences? Uh, so def I think uh, with Grammarly, uh, I mean, I've used the basic version, not the premium version, and it has, it's pretty useful. So one of, I mean, the basic technique or the basic uh, use case that is solved is for uh, misspelled words and then some sort of a grammatical error, uh, things like that. But if even if you lo use it, right, you, there are a couple of options which are very interesting. So first is, of course, or whether the, let's say if you're trying to, convey something or tell a story so these are two different things let's say if i'm telling a story then my uh the the way in which i'll present myself or present my work or the document will be very different from if i'm trying to convince somebody right and then it also distinguishes between whether the user is an expert i mean whether the the target audience is an expert or whether they are just beginning so it's important to uh, have a background of uh you know which audience you're uh, you're targeting. So what Grammarly does, I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, really, uh, really read uh, what is, how exactly it happens. But since I've worked a bit on NLP, um, I can tell you that uh, it will probably um, you know look at the the most common occurring words uh, which are usually used by and uh, you know just people who are beginning uh, with English grammar, and then it will also have some commonly occurring words. Uh, which people have, which have uh, more experience and are more worse with. So basically it tries to um, suggest you words, which, which will, uh, you know, uh, which will be able to explain uh, the entire context of the document to the target audience. Uh, so things like that. But yeah, I mean, if you have, and the, I think the a very important point that you mentioned is Grammarly does not restructure the entire sentence based on, the previous sentence. I mean, I so I might do that. I mean, I haven't checked the premium version, uh, but that is something which is very interesting because people usually uh, go to other humans, uh, you know, for proofreading and things like that. But uh, having an NLP system which is able to understand the context and mimic your style of writing, or maybe even better it, uh, take it up further, uh, one notch or two notch. So yeah, I think with NLP, uh, it definitely uh, can be done, right? But uh, at the same time, uh, it is extremely, uh, what I can say, it's a bit com a complex task uh, to be uh, to be very frank, right? So so there's basically, I mean, a couple of researchers research is going on in this field. There's one data set called as SQUAD which is by Stanford, it's basically question and answers. So the, the topic or the main uh, concept behind this, uh, this, doc, uh, this data set is that given a piece of document, uh, let's say the document is about uh, US independence, right? 
uh, it's going to generate questions from it and it will have the answers as well so looking at the document uh, i'll just generate questions based on uh, some keywords and then i'll know the answers as in the machine will know the answer and then uh, people will have to answer it so this becomes i mean the whole process of uh, having taking tests and having manual intervention which people create the question paper will be eliminated you just have to show the machine the the reference document that is you know if i want to ask about us independence or if i want to ask about um physics or chemistry i just have to show the document that you know i'm trying to look at at this is the document uh, or the reference material and then based on that the machine will itself generate questions and um, then it yeah. will also have the answers and the people will have to answer it so i think yeah, it's it's going in a very good direction and hopefully within a couple of years we get we'll see a lot of good development in nlp that that's what i was uh, going to next is that you know grammarly uh, forming sentences but the next question would be you know nlp for searching so uh, yeah. if you think of if you take uh, the domain of what type of questions and uh, the domain of why type of questions. So, for example, mm-hmm. why there's going to be certain uh, keywords associated, like because or the reason or <clears throat> uh, this is the uh, little phrases that indicate that uh, the content is explaining why a uh, occurrence occurred or why uh, there was a certain outcome. Can you speak to uh, natural language processing to search engines? Okay. Um, So how could you translate now that we're getting these sentences that are forming uh, and, and there are predictable answers. So for example, you could break down the whole document. The, The computer could read the whole document. It could, uh, determine what were the answers uh, in terms of parts of speech. So it could look through each sentence, uh, determine which were declarative statements. So those are mm. uh, now become micro theories. <clears throat> so each one of those mm. theories now can have a question associated. So whether what, what type of question is it? Is it a what type of question? Or is it possible to be a why type of question? And then it could formulate a uh, what the why question is so that it has a set of questions already stored in this database that are associated or mapped to answers. So again, we have this encoding decoding going on in the search engine. So the information theory still applies that bits now can store the information. Information now can be retrieved and uh, it can map to results. Yes, definitely. So there are two, um, I mean, the two approaches that come to my mind right now is first is maybe we can, uh, uh, what the squad uh, SQUAD dataset does is that the dataset is based on uh, the most commonly uh, viewed pages on Wikipedia. Okay, so basically, let's say if if, if uh, the mo- out of the most common occur- occurring, uh, I mean, co- commonly used pages, if let's say the page is about Einstein, right, or maybe Newton, and uh, I know, I mean, the model is trained that you know, with if, if the keyword in the in the sentence is about Newton and his work, 
then i'll all, all, already have a couple of documentation i already have a couple of answers ready in the back end because i have trained on the wikipedia page of of uh, newton right so so that is one technique is just to scan the document that you are being asked to create questions from and uh, you just just do a search or maybe you know some sort of a context mapping that the document is about physics and about newton and his work and maybe um, you know, gravity and you know other the contributions that he did to the field of physics then i already have a mapping of questions that are most commonly used right or most most popular or uh, people i mean somebody who's answering this question uh, examination should know so i can do that second is i can read the document i can get the keywords and then i can also get the context and by getting the context i mean that let's say if the document is about newton and his personal life or uh, maybe uh, work be i mean life beyond his uh, work in physics then i would also i would want the questions to be relevant i would not want somebody i mean i would not want a question related to his um, you know uh, his work in physics or uh, things like that i'll probably want some questions which are related to his personal life right so in that case uh, i'll have to i would want to generate questions directly from from the uh, from the document uh, but it takes a lot of i mean but that is a bit difficult because in in the first approach we already have a reference material we already have the entire wikipedia page to refer to and in in the second statement we only have to create doc, uh, create a question based on the document itself so it's a bit complicated but definitely um, it is uh, as you mentioned it is encoding and decoding in which we have some sort of a mapping between uh, newton and his work in physics and his personal life and we create questions based on uh, whatever the context that we are getting from the document how do you um, take the let's say we go to your shakespeare work and you read uh, you know a paragraph in old english and uh, mm-hmm. then you ask the, the computer what did that uh, sentence mean or what did that paragraph mean what is what is hamlet trying to say here um, and then it uh, analyzes the paragraph and it knows in context to the storyline what is what is occurring so there's a, a sequence of events maybe uh, it's talking about it's talking about when duncan uh, comes over and he betrays uh, Beoquit or something like that and mm-hmm. uh, it's about and then it, it summarizes at a higher level and it says it's about um, a ally who became a traitor uh, so in other words it's drawing conclusions how do you get uh, from declarative statements to conclusions in a summary form that as human beings we like to have information summarized so we get kind mm-hmm. of a uh, what are the conclusions to this content, not just all the information. So, you know, we're compressing. How do you get mm-hmm. that compression encoding to work so that it makes sense? Uh, yeah. So, so for that, the first thing, the most important thing is that the, uh, the, the, the model should, uh, you know, read the entire source material, right? So the, and by that, I mean, it should read, it should understand the entire source material at hand. And then the task of of the of the model should be to give give me a brief summary. Maybe you know, uh, 
up to 100 words or 200 words uh, right so there sh- so basically what i feel is there should be um you know encoding and decoding happen so what i'll try to do is i'll try to encode the entire uh, source material um into uh, some sort of uh, vector dimension and then uh, based on uh, the the important part so let's say if i'm if i'm talking about uh, julius caesar or macbeth there will be some scenes which are very important right and i would not want to miss on those and then at the same time there are some scenes which have relevantly i mean less importance right so i would probably want to you know only uh, have the mentioned or maybe you know just even a couple of lines would do uh, so it's important uh, for the model to uh, have some sort of a feedback i feel that you know if 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 a certain uh, act or a certain scene is important then i would want more information from that uh currently i don't think a lot of systems will have that sort of capability without some sort of feedback there are a lot of uh, good uh, uh state of the art uh, models like the bert by google brt it's it's uh, it has a lot of uh, good insightful uh you know nlp inferences you can draw it, uh, draw from that but yeah so, so do you uh, think do you think that what it would do is is that um for example let's say you have a certain uh important paragraph in the in the play uh for hamlet for example and mm-hmm. uh then would it go out to the neural net or to the web and then search uh content look for anything that other people are saying so uh, then it would go to credible sources that are doing analysis on that particular paragraph uh look to see how they're Uh, interpreting it and then create um a list of you know possibly five or six uh interpretations on that paragraph that other people are saying and then try to figure out which one is the most popular so that when uh when you ask what that what that interpretation is it says oh i found uh this this reference here which then it doesn't it doesn't utilize uh interpret it's not looking at the content and mapping it it's just doing uh uh it's just using what other people have created as an analysis i think that would be kind of a a good way in some ways because you're using human interpretation versus machine but it would be uh what i'm looking for is could the machine uh encode and deco uh compress what is being said into a more concise statement about what the material is saying uh yeah definitely uh the the machine so i mean the the approach that you mentioned of course is has less uh, sort of a translation because uh, and the machine will just probably you know look for keywords or maybe uh, you know why did let's say important questions let's say why did uh, uh brutus betray julius caesar right and then it will uh, not uh, infer anything from itself the machine it will probably just go to the internet and get the most relevant article uh, right yeah so that is that is also a good approach to to you know to solve problems but uh the, if it be, it depends on the problem statement let's say if i want to uh have a complete translatory model that is i have to identify the important questions within the play and then the i would want the machine 
to be trained on the source material and then give me its own interpretation yeah then at that point uh, this becomes difficult because now the machine is dependent on on uh, searching on the web for a relevant article so uh, and it's kind of that uh, conver- thing that we were saying about uh earlier in one of our other talks about how uh, there's a conversation that has to go on so even mm-hmm. while you're typing that paragraph or it's reading that you're asking it to interpret a paragraph uh it has to read through the content and maybe it's got to read previous paragraphs or even the whole book to understand what that one paragraph is meaning because it it needs to know uh a hierarchy so there's a there was a hierarchy of uh history that's going on or a hierarchy of sequences that now are creating the meaning or implication of what the paragraph means almost like when we were talking about the grammarly you know where yeah. if, if it were if you're typing in one sentence it's looking to see in context of previous sentences if it makes sense mm-hmm. or if it's mm-hmm. you know breaking up in terms of parts of speech yeah definitely i think uh, that is uh, you know how uh, the the machine probably how it works is that it looks at the previous uh context and then tries to modify the next sentence right so uh, yeah i think with nlp we have a lot of interesting use cases to solve and i feel that it it is uh, uh it has a lot of scope going ahead because we have just skimmed the the surface and there's a lot of things to be explored and uh, you know work with uh, but of course it it becomes difficult when it comes to nlp because within um so let's say when we are working with with uh, image data we know that the pixels uh, the intensity can be between 0 to 255 right they cannot be in density greater than 255 and there are only three channels red green blue and there cannot be a fourth channel right so we have kind of we know our space in in image data however in 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 when we are working with nlp even if we just take english language english language will have around millions of words right and having a, an encoding with each and every one of them uh, that makes the complete sense and context that becomes difficult therefore nlp is something which is uh, you know is one field which is quite uh, intriguing for me at least because the possibilities are endless uh, but there are good researchers and good uh, work that is being done in nlp and definitely you know in a within a couple of years you can see a lot, lot of changes that are happening in the field yeah i think it will be uh again it's uh like we started with the conversation shannon proved that the, you know the nlp is really a uh topic of information theory and so it can be represent re- represented in uh ones and zeros so the language itself are symbols in a continuous stream of data and so we can encode from one uh set of language to another and it seems like also phrases can be encoded so that we can uh, associate phrases to other phrases and uh then as you look at sentences you can do uh parts of speech analysis and try to predict what the conclusion is so if you looked at a fragmented sentence uh what are the conclusions what are the possible direct objects or what are the possible noun and verb combinations uh, is mm-hmm. and has a uh, just where time's up but uh 
do you want to talk about your conference uh, briefly in closing? Uh, yeah, so so uh, I'll be giving a conference in in India, Bangalore, and this conference is called as Open Data Science Conference, and it has different tracks. So it has also in San Francisco, New York, London, and I think in Switzerland as well. So this is uh, the second time that is happening in India, and my topic is uh, how can we minimize resources uh, while we are training a deep network. Uh, so this is very relevant to a country like India because we don't, we cannot expect people to have access to GPUs when we have issues with the internet or electricity or things like that. So I'm just trying to exp- uh, exp- uh, you know explore the possibilities of um, having a good architecture. Uh, there are a couple of techniques that you could follow uh, to make sure that your resource utilization should be a minimum. Because what happens is the whenever you are uh, uh, whenever we are building a model, the metrics that we look at are probably the accuracy, how accurate my model is, and then we'll also look at uh, uh, you know F1 score, precision, and recall these metrics. But we never look at how much resource it is utilizing. So this is my effort into bringing the, the resource utilization part into picture. And I hope that the pe- people enjoy it. And probably, you know, if it helps somebody, then I think the purpose is solved. Yeah. And it's information is uh, related to energy. There's a calculation to how much energy is required for every bit of computation or information. Yeah. And so as the as more encoding is required, you're going to require more information. But at the same, our energy. So, but at the same time, as there's more energy, there's also more entropy. So there's a room for uh, loss of information or incorrect uh, uh, information decoding because it, the information, if it it has too much redundancy in it, uh, will uh, have higher entropy. So that's interesting that you're able to identify areas that have entropy and reduce that and therefore reduce the amount of computational cycles or uh, reduce the amount of energy required in the system. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for your time. And uh, again, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, David. The feeling is mutual. Bye. All right. Bye.